Welcome back to uh, the Red Reporter Podcast, episode 11 of the 2019 Reboot. We are coming to you uh, on August 6th, about uh, yeah, a little over a third of the way through the final game of this Reds-Angels series. And um, I'll be damned if it doesn't sound like I'm optimistic talking about the Cincinnati Reds baseball season on August 6th of this season. Um, we just wrapped the trade deadline, uh, and the Reds are still interesting. They're still... Um, Playing, aside from Jose Iglesias, just doing whatever the hell he just did on second base and got picked off. Uh, they're still playing good baseball um, and are kind of still in the thick of things. And if anything, they look like the most confident and kind of peaking team we've seen so far this year, which is kind of hilarious. So, uh, yeah, we'll jump into that. We've got a couple great guests with us tonight. Uh, we got up in Minnesota, uh, Mr. Aaron Michael. Aaron, what's going on, buddy? Oh, not a lot. I'm just just laughing at whatever Iglesias flopping back and forth. Like, ah, <laughs> so stupid. Just go back. Yeah, so, uh, for for reference, he got to second base, thought he was out, stepped off second base, realized he hadn't been called out, and then tried to dive back in, and then got tagged out. So, um, little little classic two plan, which the Reds have been a uh, pretty uh pretty good at pulling off lately. As they as they pan over to Jesse Winker in the dugout, um. Uh, also joining us today from, from Indiana, we've got Derek Grimes. Grimey, how are you today, man? Hey, I'm living the dream. Uh, hopefully this goes a little bit uh, smoother on my end this time. Uh, <laughs> which it's, I mean, it's so odd. I want to give I want to give our listeners a little insight into this. So we were, what, like six, seven, eight minutes into the last one, and then I'm talking bullshit about relievers, and you guys couldn't hear a word I was saying. <laughs> I, can, I can hear those cicadas in your background. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sure you can. Um, but anyway, so, and then we get to the end of the podcast. Everyone heard it fine. Nobody nobody said anything. It just didn't record shit. So, whatever. Anyway, I'm here now. I'll probably ruin it again. It's fine. And me and my infinite editing wisdom uh, was trying to put this together before going to bed on the end of the uh, uh extremely kind of exhausting and thoroughly busy trade deadline and was like, ah, oh, what the hell? I'm just going to publish this. At least there's 35 minutes of pretty good content in there somewhere. If you all can uh, listen around it was, a, we, we gave, we gave our listeners a choose your own adventure podcast. They could chime in and they could talk over us because there was gaps. So how about that? Um, anyway, Reds are seven and three in their last 10 games, nine and five in their last 14 games. Um, won three series in a row heading into that road series against the Atlanta Braves, who are the red-hot Atlanta Braves, uh, who just went out and spent a fortune and brought in an entirely new revamped bullpen. Uh, and the Reds managed to, to stage some pretty epic comeback uh, baseball to, to split that series as well. Um, then obviously came back home and they're playing the Angels and just took it to them to the start last night. Uh, found themselves down 3-0 to start tonight's game and immediately came back and are now up 4-3. Um, it's the kind of enthusiastic, confident baseball that we wish we could have seen from this team all year. Um, but they're playing a, kind of their best baseball of the year right now, right after a trade deadline that saw them trade their best prospect and Yasiel Puig and Scooter Jeanette and start giving time to a bunch of guys that weren't 
really considered top prospects. Guys like Philip Irvin, obviously a former top prospect and first rounder who kind of sputtered in the minors a little bit. Uh, Aristides Aquino, who has just mauled the baseball since getting a chance this year, but certainly fell off the, the prospect radar after his dismal 2018 season. Um, even got DFA'd by the Reds. Um, and Josh Vamater, a former fifth-round pick who was from the Padres organization and got traded for uh, international bonus cash and was never really a prospect until finding a new swing at the end of last year. Um, what are your thoughts on the way the Reds are currently constructed and how they're winning with this current construction? Because on the surface, you look up at their trade deadline moves and say, wow, that, their offense really they took a big hit. But what you're seeing on the field certainly is the opposite of that. Um, Aaron, what do you think, man? Um, I think um, it's, I think it's incredibly, incredibly interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll turn down my audio. But um, you get the uh, just the idea of, with the players that they have now that are matched up, that especially when it comes to pl- platoons and how David Bell specifically likes to likes to match match players up. Um, you know, some criticisms that he's done that with Jesse Winker instead of giving him more time. But I think at least with the young players that they, they've they brought up, they're putting them in really good situations to succeed and have a better idea of what they're going to do with them going forward. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's almost like. Guys like Irvin and, and Winker have kind of almost been in a timeshare. And I say that because we've seen a lot of left-handed starters lately. Um, but you're also going to see two more in Cole Hamels and John Lester in the big Cubs series this weekend. Um, it, you've seen the same with Aquino and, and, and right field as well. And Josh Vamiter getting some time in the outfield and also at second base. Jose Peraza starting against lefties. Um, but it's one of the things where it almost seems like they've reached the point of the season where – Everybody knows they're going to play every night. Nobody knows if they're really going to start each night. I guess they can look up and see if it's a lefty or righty starting so they know. But they know that they're going to get two plate appearances each night and occasionally four plate appearances every night. But they know they're going to be in the game every single night because they're not just you know Dusty Baker style of rolling out the same eight position players every day and letting them play nine innings a game and stacking the bench with a bunch of 32-year-olds who don't play for six, seven, eight, nine days. Um, Grammy, what do you think, man? Yeah, and I think it's interesting what you talk about there is it's and it's not just like oh like uh, I might get in a bat here or there. I mean, no, like chances are like if Jesse Wicker's not starting, he's gonna get a really big at bat in the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, or maybe the you know maybe the sixth and the ninth inning or whatever. After relievers come in and they can start doing those kind of matchups, so it's not like he's just sitting around waiting for nothing. You know, um, he knows he's gonna come in. He, I mean, somebody like Jesse Winker, he's probably going to come in one of the bigger spots. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're coming in. They should be coming in ready to play every day. Every day. Um, <clears throat> as far as, uh, you know, Van Meter and especially Van Meter and uh, Aquino go, uh, I mean, I, I think we talked about this a little bit at the end of the podcast uh, after the trade deadline, but this is exactly what they needed to see from those guys, you know. Um, it, they, <laughs> those are supposed to be those – those are supposed to be the uh, the positions that oh we need to upgrade here and here and we're gonna have to go out and find it on the free agency market. Well, if these guys just beat down the door over the next two months, um, you know they're still gonna have to go. I, I still think they need to go out and find a you know a starting type bat um, somewhere, regardless of where it's at. They need one at least. I'm just saying, if these guys show up for the next two months and it's not just like a fluky thing. Um, it really gives us some options going down the road, you know? Yeah, and I think it's, it's obviously worth noting that, uh, you know, AAA and the International League 
has notoriously been a pitcher's league for the last several seasons, but they're using the Major League Baseball ball this year, which is whether it's juiced, whether the seams are lower, whatever the hell you want to call it, the numbers from people playing at AAA this year are just absurd. The absolute the, the hitting environment has turned into it's 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 better for hitters now this year than even the PCL has been as that extreme uh, hitters environment for the last seven, eight, nine years. Um, so on the surface, it's hard to look up and say, "Wow, Aquino's hit you know twenty seven home runs," and Brian O'Grady, who just got all, got called up, is hit twenty seven home runs, and uh, Josh Vameter had a. a 1300 OPS or whatever in April, uh, it's the ball that they're playing with. But with Van Meter and Aquino specifically, these are two guys who overhauled their swings in a complete you know, ground up fashion over the last 10, 12, 15 months. Um, so these aren't the guys that they were at the lower level of the minors. And it's almost like you wonder if the Reds think they've got two guys who reconfigured their swing that fits the big league game better than it fit the double A and advanced a game with the dead ball and the big pitcher parks and those kind of things. Because uh, what we've seen from them so far, it's kind of that modern baseball swing, which is elevate the ball, hit it off the ground, try to, you know, pull in for power, everything you possibly can. Um, and it seems like they figured out how to do that. So you almost wonder if uh, that, that, that massive swing overhaul uh, and the fact that Scooter and Puig were going to be free agents at the end of this year and we're obviously making a ton of money, they said, let's roll out this thought experiment right now. These guys are hot where they are. They're facing the same kind of ball now at the big league level. It's worked at AAA. Let's just see what happens if we give them a chance at AAA because there's nothing more down there they can really do. Maybe this works. Maybe they figured it out. Let's find out because if we have, we got – six, seven uh, years of team control on both of them for uh, uh, the league minimum for the time being. And that frees up the ability to go spend money elsewhere. And uh, if they're right on that, uh, they've they've really, really stumbled onto something because the early returns from those guys, uh, especially with the versatility that they kind of bring with the rest of the roster, uh, certainly looks good on paper for now. Yeah. And I, I, the thing about um, and the thing that I think separates like somebody like Aquino and Van Meter for me is or from from Urban is that it looks like Philip Urban's going to be, I mean, right now it looks like Philip Urban's going to be that really good fourth outfielder, you know, right-handed bat against left-handed pitching. And if that's all he ever, and I'm not, you know, it's still early, you know, he's not particularly young, but it's still early in his major league career. Maybe he, you know, turns into something a little more than that, but if that's all he is, that's great. That's fine. You but need they, that. <clears throat> right. But they spent, they, they spent a first round, <clears throat> they spent a first round pick on him. So if that's what he turns out to be, that's great. You know, he's a first rounder. You probably want a little more than that, but if that's what he is, great. Aquino, Aquino and Van Meter, if they turn out to be even that, or if they turn into starters or whatever, that's found money. I yeah. mean, that's, that's something that there's no way they, you obviously you take flyers on guys like that for a reason. I think Van Meter was a rule five pick. Um, and Aquino was uh, signed out of the Dominican Republic at like 16 or whatever. I mean, you hope they turn into something like that, but, and, if, but when they do and they hit at the same time and they're both at the league minimum at the same time, I mean, that's, it's a lot easier to build around that. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt, but what I was going to say is I didn't mean to, to, to demean Josh Rimmer or Aquino is as their you know, prospect status so that they needed a major overhaul. And that's the only reason why they're getting a shot. Uh, Aquino was 
in the Reds' top 10 prospect list for five, six years in a row as he came up as a youngster, he just kind of plateaued at double-A. He had a phenomenal uh, season in Daytona where I think he hit, what, 25, 26 home runs, threw out 28 guys from the outfield. Um, he really, at times, is projected as kind of a five-tool guy, um, but it just kind of fell apart at the yeah. upper minors until he figured out how to fix his swing. When Van Meter was always a decent prospect, not a great one, but a decent prospect, and he did put up a 400 on-base percentage uh, last year. So it's not like this year was the only time he's ever really done anything great. Uh, it just seems like they've all kind of begun to have everything peak at the same time. So Aaron, what do you think, man? Well, one, it, it really sucks that Grimy can't see this stupid inning, but because <laughs> <laughs> I just keep laughing. <laughs> I, I can't help it, but Disco hit a single and then Senzel hit a blooper, but Senzel just um, hit a pitching wedge in between three guys to score a run with two outs. Right. Yeah. And Anthony DiScafani is, I mean, he had a dinger once, but he shouldn't have done that either. But so um, kind of the point that I was going to make, and the one thing I just thought about right now is, you know, we we kind of, you know, bitch and complain about the whole Alfredo Rodriguez and, you know, all the money they spent on him. But, I mean, what if Josh Van Meter ends up turning into an incredible player and the only reason the Reds traded for him is because they could not spend money? <laughs> that's a great point that's a great I mean, point they traded their international spending pool money that it was illegal for them to spend that's a fair that's a fantastic point and one that i had certainly not thought about but that's absolutely the case they could not spend that money uh it's how they helped uh it's how they ended up getting sunny gray as well i believe right, right? They, they right. Threw, i mean you're just gonna end up get long for them josh van meter is gonna end up being you know hall of famer one day and it's it's just it's because of alfredo rodriguez Sorry, Sonny was for a comp pick, but point being, you're right. You're absolutely right. Is that they couldn't spin that, and they went out and got it elsewhere. It's what the Baltimore Orioles have been trying to do for years, although uh, having failed miserably at it. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, I think the point remains, though. Like if, if the Reds do luck into even just one of these guys being legit, you know, even if whether it's Aquino, whether it's Van Meter, if one of those guys is legit beyond this season, you have solved a potential gap in opening out of thin air and in theory, you know, we, and we haven't gotten to the biggest move the Reds made in the last week, which we'll get to in shortly, but trading uh, Taylor Trammell, um, that was not only your top prospect, but also an outfielder of the future. And if you can backfill with guys like Aquino and Van Meter, both of whom can play the outfield incredibly competently, um, you suddenly solved a major, major problem and made what looked like a, a void both at the big league level and at the top of your system um, kind of irrelevant. And obviously, you know, well, the deal that Trammell was included in as he was sent to the San Diego Padres, the three-team deal that brought in Trevor Bauer, um, it's not just that they brought in Trevor Bauer. It's that Bauer was going to make 18 ish million dollars next year in his final year of arbitration. And that's going to eat up a lot of the payroll space that the Reds otherwise could have spent on uh, things elsewhere. And so um, to, to move their biggest trade ship and get not only that guy with that quality, but also somebody who's going to take up that much of the payroll. If you can backfill with guys that other teams kind of overlooked that we overlooked that hell, they probably overlooked a little bit too um, for league minimum for the near future, that, that, that makes that move incredibly more palatable. Um, because if you think about they can fill second base left field and the number two starter for 19 million, uh, that makes Bauer making 18 million seem a lot less of a problem. Absolutely. And I think it's the other point that it's, it's just, it's refreshing to, at least in this case, we don't know what they're going to turn into, but 
basically, you know, you have a guy like Van Meter that he's got a pretty good, you know, hit grade for a prospect. I was looking at, you know, basically his ceiling is considered like a, a 60 hit grade, which is really good. Yeah. And he's always taking pitches and Aquino is a freakish athlete and, you know, all these things and tons of power. And they showed these qualities all the way through their minor league system, all the way through their minor league career. And they hit, you know, a road bump where they have to make that adjustment. And it feels like the Reds have always been waiting for prospects that are going to, you know, you say this guy has got this potential and they got these things, but you're always waiting them for them to make that adjustment or to figure out these one things. And before they do, you've already shipped them off or they had to go somewhere. You had to get rid of them because, you know, because of basically service time options, whatever you want to call it, that it's just, it's kind of refreshingly nice that some players, whether it's the new ball or whatever, got the confidence, made adjustments, and it's actually working out outside of always having to rely on, you know, the Senzels of the world or, you know, Jay Bruce, Joey Votto, that these guys were highly drafted. They're highly thought of. They're already good. They're going to be good that you kind of just run into something. No, I think you're absolutely right in that regard. One, 100%. So, um, and- so I was just thinking, uh, um, speaking of like the international signings, uh, red signings, um, and I think we've talked about this internally before, uh, before Kino's uh, major league debut, but after this and, and, and after tonight, um, even, and he was playing well, even before tonight, um, if, if Aristide Aquino retired right now, like right now, just like walked out of the dugout and said, I'm done. Like he's got a rank in the top, like three international prospects that the Reds have signed <laughs> position, position player wise. <laughs> Uh, yeah, pros- for prospects that graduated to big league players, yeah, obviously with you know Iglesias and Chapman, they've they've signed some some ready made big leaguers. But yeah, I agree. Their their international prospects uh, development and reaching the big leagues have been um, abysmal by any team standards. But if you look <laughs> put them up next to uh, every other team, you see that the Reds really rank just terribly, uh, especially with position players um, against their peers. It's been Really, really odd in that regard. Um, I was trying to think. Just when was the last the last player that the Reds had that just kind of came out of nowhere as a, a not a prospect that just kind of got an opportunity and just took it and ran with it? Uh, Chris Heisey. I guess Chris Heisey. I guess Adam Duvall was a little one, although he didn't come up through the system. The Reds right. didn't develop him, but he came over Ryan as Ryan Hannigan. Hannigan was a good example. Yeah, I guess catchers they have had some success with. Uh, I don't. I want to say scrap heap, but uh, maybe overlooked catchers because even Kirk Casale they traded for cash to get him from the Rays, and he's been good. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, the, I, mean, I was gonna say like obviously like Scooter Jeanette, but that doesn't but like, really but, count. I don't think. I mean, as far as what you're talking about, yeah, players that came through the Red System and weren't top prospects, but ended up getting a shot and running with it. There's. It's it's kind of few and far between. I mean, as, as Aaron was kind of alluding to before, they had such great success for a long period of time with first round picks and top prospects and waiting for them, and then they graduated. And then you looked up, and the entire roster was first round picks and top prospects, but never anybody that they got for a song. And the you know, I guess even Amir Garrett's kind of like the the exception to the rule because he would have gotten first round money if he wasn't playing NCAA basketball, but got drafted way, way late um, because of that, and they were patient with him. I guess Tucker Barnard was a 10th-round pick, so he's not – he was never never a top 100 prospect. But, yeah, aside from that, you just it's been a long, long time since you've seen the Reds be willing to say, hey, 
we're going to promote based on production, not on reputation. Um, and actually having guys that were warranted the promotion because they were producing at the, the AAA level. And so you almost wonder if the, having the big league ball down there has shown them something different that they wanted to see because it wasn't so much of a, a guess on how it would translate going forward. Well, I guess you just also – you think of it from that aspect. If you're training players to be major league players, why the hell aren't they all using the major league ball? I don't care if it's juiced or whatever. Yeah. I didn't realize until they made that announcement – that there was some kind of magic baseball that was major league baseball and that the rest of them couldn't use it. Like, why is there a demonstrably different baseball at different levels? Yeah. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense really. They're not exactly, they're not exactly willing to admit that the baseball is any different. (laughs) Like they're going to be like, Oh yeah, we're going to introduce the major league base or the MLB baseball to triple a. And then this stuff happens. They're like, Oh, I don't know why that's happening. That's weird. (laughs) Like Crowder said a home run. Oh yeah. Did he? Oh, here we go. Oh, now yeah. I get to cut my, yeah, cut my eye here. Yeah, woo, woo. yeah. He got on the handle a little bit. Uh, yeah, that one only went about 410 feet. That's no, yeah. that's no Aquino home run. It's just um, pop up. It's actually funny. Uh, when I was running the uh, the Red Reporter Twitter account earlier today, after the first inning, I tweeted out that I was already almost out of words to use to describe home runs. Um, not knowing that while well, hopping on a podcast and having to get caught up on a recap later that they were going to send up any more that I was going to have to come up with names for. But um, I guess this is a hot uh, August evening in Cincinnati with um, with Mike Trout at the plate. So odds are you're going to see a lot of dingers in a game like this. So don't care. He hit it off the handle of the bat. Like there's like two people alive that could hit that ball out. <laughs> yeah, I said 410. That, one, that one's easily 410. He cleared that well. So um, so I guess we, we also kind of alluded to it, but – Trevor Bauer is a Cincinnati Red now and is perhaps the biggest name they've traded for. I mean, obviously the LCL Puig trade this last winter was pretty pretty big on on reputation and on on star power. But in terms of guys who have actually put up like legitimately superstar caliber seasons, Trevor Bauer is probably the best player the Reds have traded for in his prime in several years, if not a long damn time. Um, had his first outing over the weekend. Um against a very good Atlanta team, uh, wasn't at his best, might have been a little hyped up. Um, but his pitches, if you were watching the game and you're looking just purely at the box score, no, nah, it wasn't a great outing. But if you were watching what he was throwing and what those pitches were doing, uh, his pitches are moving all freaking over the damn place. We were having a conversation, like, honestly, the three of us were, uh, in the Slack channel about like watching what he was throwing, that he throws his – Curveball and his slider almost at the exact same um, uh, speed, but with different arm angles, and both of them move all the frick over the place. Uh, what were your thoughts on seeing Trevor Bauer on the mound as a Cincinnati Red? Um, and what are your thoughts on what that start might tell you about whether or not the end of this 2019 season might have something special with him involved as part of that? Uh, Grimey, how about you go first, man? Yeah, you'll swing this to me first, honestly. Um, so I got to preface this by saying that generally I am the most boring person on the face of the planet, <laughs> and on any given on any given Saturday night, I would have been glued to my television watching Trevor Bauer's first star. Oh, it was Red. it was Natterday for you, right? It was. Yeah, yeah. I don't even want to go there, but uh, <laughs> yes, it was Natterday. Starting at about yeah. Anyway, um, it was starting about two p.m. Um, I was at a pool celebrating my uh, brother's birthday, 
and I didn't see a minute of it. I mean, I was I was obviously following the game and, and the game results, I guess, but I didn't see a minute of Trevor Bauer's start. So I don't really have anything to add here. Which <laughs> and how about you go, man? Was, it makes me number one uh, Red fan, but yeah, I'll, I'll let uh, I'll let Aaron take it. Well, I mean, I'll admit I was having a natter day myself, but I found at least a small amount of time to watch Trevor Bauer. Um, I remember some bits and pieces of it, so I guess I can I can recognize <laughs> what I what I what I saw that time. Um, obviously, some shaky can control. I don't I don't know exactly how you can control 100% some of them breaking pitches that he was throwing because I mean they're it's jaw dropping amount of movement, especially that slider. Um, that it's almost it's kind of scary the way he throws it. And I was I was looking at. At that time, I was I was looking up the pitches that he throws and kind of how they've progressed throughout the years. And the one thing is his fastball every single year gets faster. Uh-huh. I mean that's I mean he's 28 years old, so that kind of makes sense. But his breaking pitches specifically, he has slowed them down and he slowed them down like monumentally. Like particularly with the slider, um, with a ton of break. I mean he's lost I'm thinking something like four to five miles an hour on that thing to the point that he throws it at the exact same speed as his chain or his uh, curveball. Yeah, they're they're both right at like 79 miles an hour I think, and it's but worth I mean, noting. He used to throw it like 85. Yeah, and it's worth noting that uh, I guess one of the runs that scored on him was on a wild pitch. He almost allowed another run on a different wild pitch, save for the fact that he and Tucker Barner made a phenomenal play to get a diving tag at the plate, but. Um, it's pretty clear if you watch the game as well, uh, which Grimey didn't, um, <laughs> if you were watching him and Tucker Barnhart, um, they weren't exactly on the same page yet, uh, which you, I mean, for the same reason why you don't see, uh, teams acquire starting catchers midway through seasons, it just takes a long time for even one pitcher and one catcher to get on the same page, uh, immediately, much less for a catcher to get on the same page as an entire pitching staff, um, Barnhart and Bauer weren't on the same page. There was a lot of shaking off, uh, a lot of uh, uh, stepping off the mound and kind of going back through the signals and everything else, which is to be expected in anybody's first start with a team. Um, I, I can only think that now that Barnhart's caught him in a game and seen what those pitches can do, uh, the more those two get together and continue to kind of work on that, along with pitching coach Derek Johnson, uh, the better that's going to get. Because, yeah, that's, you know, obviously Bauer's not in 2019 who he was in 2018, which was a, a pitching phenomenon and a legitimate Cy Young deserver if he didn't win it. Uh, he's taken a slight step back this year, but still has the kind of, you know, peak age and, and peak talent that suggests that he can be everything the Reds hope he can be when he gets a chance to work with Derek Johnson. Um, and I think what we saw – in his first start were glimpses of that. Uh, and he went bad. I mean, what he allowed three runs in five innings and threw a lot of pitches in the process because his control was off a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I think what we saw there was the reason why the Reds were so tantalized by him because he's got some of the best movement of any pitcher out there and is able to throw 120 pitches a night, and that's the reason why he's leading the world in innings pitched so far. Um. That in mind, uh, he's not the most recent Reds uh, pitcher to have been acquired. Um, the Reds made a pretty interesting move earlier this week in acquiring uh, Braves starter Kevin Gossman, who they roughed up pretty good on, I guess, the series opener on Friday, if I remember correctly. Um, but a guy who's making about $9.5 bucks this year, but has team control for 2020, um, has been at times a very, very good starter for the putrid Baltimore Orioles in the AL East, going up against the Red Sox and the Yankees, God numbers, you know, and the Rays as well, however many times a year he's been pitching against them. Um, but a guy who's still not old, not over the hill, 
uh, and has peripherals this year that suggest he should be a lot better than a guy who was on waivers that the Reds could claim, uh, which they did. Uh, what are your thoughts on the idea that the Reds are willing to just roll the dice on $3 million for the rest of the year, which is obviously not the move that a team that's a seller makes, uh, and where Gossman might fit into this entire pitching staff going forward? Aaron, what do you think? Um, well, first, Aquino's three for three, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just Another laser left foot. Just punishing it. Um, with Gossman, so they picked him up on waivers. Yeah. And, and so when they do that, they take on the entire contract, which means if they're going to keep him next year and they don't non-tender him, he's going to be up for arbitration again. It's a it's a $3 million roll of the dice because obviously he's had an awful year this year. And the reason he was on waivers is because the Braves basically said, we're not going to tender him a contract after this year. If somebody wants him, we'll take $3 bucks and be done with it. Um, right. But if he does show that he's anywhere close to the guy that he's been before – and the Reds get an interesting decision to make. Well, I I think it's to me it's a little weird. I, I understand doing it for this year, especially because if you want to put this guy in the bullpen, um, right? For next year, I don't think it makes any sense because assuming you go through arbitration or whatever, and you're going to try to keep the guy, he's going to get a raise, and I don't think you're going to pay Kevin Gossman ten million dollars to come out of the bullpen. Yeah, because I mean, on like, paper, I, I don't see a spot for him in a rotation for next year. Outside, well, they hold him around for some kind of depth. And on, on, on paper, you've got right, you've got depth doesn't. You've got you've got Luis Castillo, you've got Sonny Gray, you've got Trevor Bauer, you've got Anthony Scafani, you've got Tyler Malley, and who knows what they choose to try to do with Alex Wood as well. So yeah, they've right. got the very very covered, uh, and that's that's an expensive rotation too. I mean, that's right. uh, I guess if you if you're just holding on to him to see what you can get out out of him through the bullpen this year for three million dollars, I don't I don't I don't give a shit. So. Yeah, I, the, the way I think I look at it now is is that Anthony Scafani is going to be in his last year of team control this winter as well. If they paid $3 million to see if they can fix Kevin Gossman and did it three days after they faced him, it makes me wonder if they saw something in that start and said either he's tipping pitches or whatever because all his velocity is not down. Um, everything across the board, peripheral-wise, he's got a 420 FIP, which isn't great, but it's not bad. Sonny Gray had a 417 FIP last year with New York before the Reds got him and fixed him too. If there was something obvious they saw that said, hey, this guy can get back to being the 105 ERA plus guy that he's been in the AL East primarily for the last five years, that's our fifth starter for next year, and the Braves are just going to give him to us, we'll take him, and then maybe we try to flip Tyler Nally this winter, or maybe we try to flip Anthony Scafani this winter because they've given us a trade chip that we just paid $3 million to find out about. And if we can't fix them, it costs us $3 million bucks and you move on. Um, Grimey, what do you think, man? Yeah, I do love it. And, and I did watch um, Friday's game because I do watch Red Games every now and then. Um, <laughs> um, and so it, it's funny It's funny to me to – it was just it, – the whole thing was kind of funny to me that like, oh, like <laughs> the Reds literally like, you know, kind of just kick the shit out of them. And then as soon as he's put on waivers, they're like, yeah, we'll take them. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, but I think it's interesting to note, though, in, in seriousness, that uh, I looked this up a little bit uh, earlier today. Um, the the Brewers were in on him at the trade deadline last year, mm-hmm. um, and obviously the common denominator there is obvious. Um, yeah, I really think that there's probably something there, and you know, we'll we'll see if it comes through. But 
at this point, it's hard not to trust Eric Williams or uh, uh, well, Dick Williams too, I guess a little bit, but uh, yeah, Derek, Derek Johnson, uh, uh, Derek Johnson uh, as far as when it comes to pitching, like if he sees something there that he can tweak, um, I mean, I, I, I have a hard time not believing him, you know? Uh, and I think this is part, I, I think this is a big Derek Johnson move just no, because I, of, just because of the rumors of that they were really in on him last year too, you know? No, um, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And then he was fantastic for Atlanta on the stretch last year, too. I mean, he's in starts for them. He was brilliant. He's an LSU product as well. He's 28 years old. I haven't dug back through uh, articles from 2010 to find out what college offers he had. Um, but <laughs> given where he pitched, given where he came from, everything else, I'd be shocked if Vanderbilt wasn't in on recruiting him in, in high school as well. Um, yeah. So and, and at I that point, Johnson was still there. I don't think we we should sleep on his because I don't he, he's not taking a spot in the rotation this year unless something happens to one of the five starters obviously but um, I don't think we should sleep on the acquisition for the bullpen either though I mean it's not I mean I understand that you know uh, Gosman's a a righty versus Wandy Peralta being a uh, lefty but ugh, I mean it's hard not to see that as an upgrade for you know, just $3 million. And if, and you know, it's still kind of a long shot for the Reds to make the playoffs this year, but, but it, the, the bullpen needs, needs some help obviously. And, and in, be able to insert that arm over somebody like Wandy Peralta, who had a specific job and can't do it. Um, I mean, Kevin Gosman can do anything, you know, he's not going to come in just in a specialized spot. You're going to, you're going to throw him out there in the sixth or seventh inning and say, go, go get him out, you know? And if Derek Johnson sees something that he thinks he can tweak, especially for an inning at a time, I mean, that's, that's not a small upgrade even for this year, if they have any hope of, of actually making a run at this thing. So and yeah. I, and I don't really think they do, but they're there. So eh, it's interesting. And and it's yeah, I actually mentioned it on Twitter. I was um, having a discussion with uh, uh, Doug Gray of Red Lake Nation. Hey Doug and RedMinersLeagues.com, friend of friend of the blog, uh, having a Twitter discussion with him earlier today as well. And just kind of stumbled across and noticed that um, Wandy Peralta was going to be very very close to reaching arbitration at the end of this year. Um, and his demotion today pretty much ensures that he's not going to reach arbitration at the end of this year. So in theory, by optioning him and limiting his service time, the Reds could save. I mean, he's making what six hundred grand this year as a first-year ARB guy. He might make a million and a half, something like that. So the Reds probably saved at least eighty-seven, eight hundred thousand dollars for next year's salary uh, by making the move to bring Gosman on and option Wandy. So in theory, in a weird kind of math way, taking on Gosman for three million this year and then saving that money by optioning Wandy. Even lops off eight hundred to nine hundred thousand dollars worth of that cost as the opportunity cost as well. So weird baseball arbitration level mathematics there, but it kind of adds up in the long run. So it makes that acquisition to roll the dice into this year that much less of a financial risk. So, um, but I, I'm I'm extremely interested to see his first outing this year because I have no idea what kind of um, I have no idea what kind of uh, role he's going to be put in initially. Um, but I do think it's definitely a pretty good roll of the dice because. Heck, even if he doesn't ever get a start for the rest of this year and just pitches out of the bullpen but pitches well, 
Then he's a trade chip for the Reds this winter if they want to tender him a contract and get what they can. And all they did was pay the Braves the net of that transaction to get him. You know, and that's a, it's never a bad buy-low option. What's weird, though, is seeing the Reds as a team using their payroll capabilities to kind of find these market inefficiencies. And, and our esteemed colleague, uh, Fred Scrabble's reporter, um, wrote about that yesterday, which is interesting because – um, you're seeing teams that are scared of payroll obligations down the road and in previous transactions scared of the luxury tax as well. And suddenly teams like the Reds that don't face all of those penalties have the ability to say, yeah, we'll soak up some cash to roll the dice here and see if we can fix some guys. And that's definitely not a position you've seen them in um, as payroll juggernauts uh, in years past. Well, and it's kind of odd to see them. Well, I guess – well, it's odd to see them do that, but it's also kind of odd to have or to feel like they have the staff to do that as well. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, Brian Price was a great pitching coach. I mean, he gets a lot of – we give him a lot of credit on what he did with the staff throughout, you know, the last winning Reds uh, window, though it didn't, you know uh, – Didn't win a lot. Didn't win, <laughs> well, stuff. yeah, I mean, it, well, they won a lot of regular season games. Didn't They didn't do anything in the postseason, which is unfortunate, but there's reasons for that as well. But that's way outside of Brian Price's uh, role in that. But um, it's all, the, my point was is that it's odd to feel like they have the staff um, not only – or the, the payroll to, to soak that up, but also the staff that you, you bring some of these guys in and you're like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I don't have any problem with them picking up Kevin Gosman I mean, for for three million dollars because I feel like if Derek Johnson wants a guy, he's going to fix him. You know, and and, this, and we're seeing this time we're, last year. This time last year, if the Reds had claimed Kevin Kevin Gosman or even traded for him, he's the ace, and it's like holy shit, the Reds traded for an ace like of their staff. Like he's he's better than Scott Feldman, opening day starter from whatever <laughs> the hell year ago that was. Trademark uh, copyright. Like, yeah, it's like for them to have gone from that to like they picked up Kevin Gossman and he's not even going to get a rotation spot. It's like what the, what the hell world are we living in right now? Well, and I'm just like we're, we're from the from the coaching standpoint. I mean, like we just talked about with Aquino and Van Meter, and I mean, hell, we haven't even seen Brian O'Grady, and maybe he makes some sort of like jump too. I mean, I, I, I don't I don't think that's. And Mitch Nay down in um, down in the farm system, I and mean, we've seen a lot of these guys like just kind of all of a sudden come on, and and I, I don't I don't know that I've ever had as much confidence in the coaching, um, and I really like David Bell, and there's a lot of people and, in, in Reds country that don't, but as far as the actual coaching staff and the instruction, um, I have a hard time with you know like it's it's weird to think like oh yeah they can they they actually have a chance to fix these guys. Yeah, I think it's kind of worth pointing out for Turner Ward and Donnie Ecker right now as well that <clears throat> we've hyped on Derek Johnson fixing them. What you're starting to see from some of the, the guys hitting the ball across the entire big league and triple A uh, rosters, things are different. It might have taken a little while for them to get used to it, and things might be. Uh, it might have taken a little bit longer than for them to get adjusted than it did for the pitchers. Um, but you're starting to see some of the uh, the hitting philosophies begin to trickle through. And who the hell knows? Maybe Turner Ward and Donnie Ecker are turning Josh Van Meter and Aristides Aquino into 
uh, I don't know, um, fixing Jock Peterson and finding Max Muncie and the things that you saw from the Dodgers. Uh, where Turner Ward was the hitting coach for the last couple of years as well, were guys who uh, weren't necessarily heralded guys and it kind of bounced around, suddenly just took off. And if that's the case, for as good as Derek Johnson has been and for as much dap as he deserves and gets from us and everybody else, maybe we'll begin to start saying, hey, Turner Ward and Donnie Ecker deserve some, some dap for this too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's so, a really good point just because – <clears throat> Last year, he's like, "Who the hell's Max Muncy?" So, and John, John Peterson like, for a long years, time, yeah. you'd be saying the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, knock on wood, one can hope. So, um, I guess we'll wrap this with uh, Reds are up six four right now in the top of the sixth, and God, they've already gone to the bullpen. So, who knows where the hell this game's going from here on out? But. Regardless of the outcome of this game, the Reds are still going to be within shouting distance with 50 games to go. Uh, after Wednesday's off day, they get the Chicago Cubs in Great American Ballpark for four games. And the Cubs are obviously leading the division, but just put their starting star catcher, Wilson Contreras, back on the DL right after the trade deadline, right after they traded away Martin Maldonado, who they traded for earlier this year when Contreras was hurt as injury insurance. Um, and they also put Craig Kimbrell on the uh, uh, the DL, and he was a guy, you almost look at the moves they didn't make at the deadline, uh, despite the fact they needed relievers, and part of it was because they just signed Kimbrell and kind of thought of him as a, a big midseason acquisition. Now he's out also. So um, I don't think there's any way to deny that this four-game series against the Cubs this weekend is the biggest series the Reds have played in at least six years. Um, what are your thoughts on what that entails, especially when you look at the starting pitching for both teams in this series? You've got Lester, Hendricks, Hamels, Darvish. You've got Gray, Castillo, Wood. I don't even know who the Reds are pitching. Not Trevor Bauer's pitching in it too. They've got they've got big guns going left and right. Uh, what are your thoughts on this particular series and what it could mean for the Reds in 2019? Since finally we're in an August where we're not talking about next year. Um, Aaron, how about you go first, man? Um, I think it, it just depends. The Reds have played the Cubs pretty well this year um, so far, at least from what I can remember. Yeah. Um, I think the most that we probably are really hoping for is some kind of status quo, you know, that they could, that they split the series, but you know, if they take three to one or sweep it. That's, it goes a long way to catching the division, but I don't think that's possible, but just staying in it in the wild card that what are they right now? Five. Five games, five and a half, five games. Five I mean, something like that out of it. I mean, every game really matters, and they have a lot of teams that they would have to jump. But the wild card, I mean, the way it's kind of shaping up is the wild card is around a 500, a 500 record, and you you might be able to sneak into this thing depending on how things work out. I mean, it just it just depends on how it all goes. So, I mean, it's nice to see competitive baseball. That was my that was my goal for the year was for them to be here at this time whether they're the outside looking in or whatever, just the fact that we, we actually give a shit about watching baseball in August. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I'm, for as much as the nebulous team chemistry uh, aspect of placing value on baseball players is, I do think there's something to be said for a team like the Reds having not been in contention for – Aside from Joey Votto, uh, basically the entire careers of everybody on their roster right now, um, for this team to experience 
games down the stretch that matter. Even if they finish 81 and 81 and four games back in the wild card and seven or eight back or whatever in the division, for them to experience this as a group for a club that doesn't really have anybody other than what David Hernandez and maybe Jared Hughes, if his option isn't picked up, everybody else is back. Like they've built their core for next year also. And it's part of this year for them to go through this and experience it. Like you learn from that. And even if learn isn't the right word, you thirst for that. Like you get that first taste and then it's like, shit, baseball isn't baseball. If I'm not part of that and you want it. And for a team that's been built to, to, to be a part of that next year, to get some experience tasting it this year, I think definitely has merit. Uh, Grimey, what do you think, man? Yeah. Uh, the, I'm looking at the uh, probable pitchers for the series. The Cubs, don't look like they have their their set. Did you say it was good, prob- probably going to be? Hamels is starting the opener. It wasn't listed on MLB.com, but they showed the graphic on oh, okay. the broadcast tonight. So I think I think they're pitching Hamels. Um, yeah, it should be Hamels, Darvish, Hendricks, uh, Lester for the four game set. That's not is... formidable on paper, but then you look at what the Reds have, and it's like, oh shit, they built a rotation to go toe to toe with the Cubs. Absolutely toe to toe. These games are going to be like two hours and 15 minutes long. Like <laughs> Alex Wood, Trevor Bauer, Sonny Gray, and Luis Castillo in that order. Um, as far as what the Reds have listed on MLB.com. I mean, it's going to be, and if you like pitching, <laughs> you know, and, and both teams have, both teams have plenty of offense. Um, I think it's interesting. I think that getting the off day, getting the off day for the Reds is a big win. Uh, obviously, they didn't. I mean, it was scheduled that way, and they didn't know what it was going to mean when they got to August eighth or whatever on Thursday. But um, Alex Wood, as a left, and um, this is with the caveat that the Cubs just added uh, Nick Castellanos uh, or whatever his name is. I feel like I'm always butchering that when I say that. Is that right? No, it's Castellanos. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they they added him to their outfield uh, as a right-handed batter. Um, but I looked up the Cubs um, collective Cubs slash line versus left-handed starters this year, and they're batting with like a seven thirty-five OPS versus left-handed starters this year. So with that off day and being able to push Alex Wood back for him to start that opener, um, that could go a long way for the Reds just to get one, you know, just to get the first one. And then, I don't know, it's interesting because, I mean, you know, that's all it takes. You, you take that, that first one, you get some momentum, whatever, you know. In general, it's a huge – You've got Bauer, Gray Castillo backing that up, which there's not a team in baseball that wouldn't want those three pitchers going in a row. Absolutely, just, absolutely. And if you, but if you know, if you ask the Cubs, I mean, we're a little – I guess we're a little bit past Lester's prime probably, but he's still, he's still a really good pitcher. And Hendricks – uh, the same way. I mean, they're going to be, they're battling, you know what I mean? Like uh, it's going to be a really great pitching matchup. Um, and we say that and these games will end like on a average of like a nine to seven ball game or something. Oh, I'm, but, I'm, I'm hyping the hell out of it. I'm going to go, I'm going fucking camping on Friday and Saturday nights. So I'm not going to see one of the games. So you don't have to worry about it. That's good. Yeah, you know. Uh, so I'm, you're, what you're saying is I'm probably going to be writing these four hours. <laughs> I'm going to do my best to make sure I can maybe, maybe, maybe catch a cell signal and at least listen to the games because it doesn't on paper like this is – it's not just the biggest series for the Reds, but it's the biggest series where they don't seem like they're outmatched, you know? Like 
there's nothing about these two teams heading into this series that says, oh, the Reds have to win it, but they're the long shot. No, they're at home. They're at home with the better pitchers on the mound. Like they're, they're, it's a home series for four games with the better pitching matchups and with a lineup that's beating the hell out of the ball right now. I, the, the Reds, the Reds should win three out of four games. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, and, like it. and you can't, you can't point to the Cubs bullpen and be like, oh, this bullpen is obviously better. There's, as there's you, no Craig Kimbrell. There's no Wilson Contreras. There's uh, the Cubs. Uh, Pedro, Pedro Strips are trash. It's trash. Uh, Pedro, <laughs> Pedro Strokes coming back, uh, or has come back, I think, today. Um, but they, but they, they put the Brandon Kinsler on the IL right after him. So. They still have Brandon Morrow. They optioned Carl Edwards Jr. Like, it's – Yeah, uh, it's – it's there's nothing there. I mean, these teams match up really good with the Reds being at home. I think I saw, actually, on RedReporter.com, <laughs> um, in, the act- in the comment section, which um, is, you know – it's, Interesting. <laughs> it's, it's it's most it's I would say it's it's mo- it's better than most comment sections on the internet. Let's put it that way. Um, it's trending upwards right now too. It right? is. It is. As the Reds get better and more interesting, it it does get better. Uh, anyway, um, somebody put on there the split between the Cubs at home versus the Cubs away, and it's like, oh my god! Like they've won like it's like forty and twenty at home, and like twenty and forty away. Like it's. It's incredible. Like they're they're not a good away team for whatever reason. So, um, I don't know. It, it's it's a really interesting thing. I mean, if I had to put if I had to put money on it, and if you really twist my arm, I probably would. I would say Reds three to one, just because it's in Great American Ballpark. Um, I'm thinking probably more likely a split, and a split doesn't have nothing. If they split the series, there's just we're running out of time, you know, they're going to be in the same place they are today, (laughs) you know, and that's not going to help. Um, If they sweep this series, it's on. I mean, if they, they, if they win tonight and they sweep the series, they're at 500 with with 46 games to play in a division where 86 wins might win the damn thing. So Aaron, what do you think, man? Uh, They're going to sweep the division because every sweep the uh, series because the Cubs are trash and I, I don't fucking care anymore. They're playing competitive baseball. Woo! So yeah, Cubs are trash. What I do though? What I do though? But actually, fans are trash. They're all trash. (laughs) State of Illinois trash. Like I'm just gonna go full extension on this. And (laughs) Barnhart just dingered. What I what what I am gonna say is I hope like hell that oh yeah Tucker just spanked that one. Um, Yeah, I'm totally gonna run out of words for home run. Recap of this one. Um, what I do hope, at least, is that if ever there was a series in the modern history of Great American Ballpark where there are not fucking Cubs fans overflowing from Great American Ballpark, it really, really, really better be this weekend series. Because as we mentioned and as we highlighted, not only is this a big series for the Reds still, because they are still not out of it, but they should be the favorites in this series. Like they, where the Cubs are in the division, yeah, they're atop it. But the Reds aren't that far back. The Reds have stuff to play for. The Reds have made a lot of great recent moves. And the Cubs have got a bunch of injury and bullpen issues. Like the Reds should win three out of four games this weekend. Who was it that one time that said Cubs fans don't have jobs? No, it was Lee, uh, Lee Elliott, yeah, right? Yeah, Elliott. Yeah. Like he's 100% yeah. right. Like how do they travel like to all these different – like how do they – how do they get from Chicago to Cincinnati in crowds like that? Like you don't have jobs. 
Well, in fact, it's, it's it's damn near cheaper to fly or drive from Cincinnati or from Chicago to Cincinnati and go to Reds games where nobody buys tickets than it is to try to get tickets and parking at Wrigley Field. They should get Absolutely. jobs, and they should be positive, <laughs> beneficial members of our society and contribute to our economy. Is what they should do by getting jobs. I don't know where they're getting the money for these tickets. You know, they're probably trust fund babies or something. <laughs> the Cubs games that I went to not this past not this past spring training, but the one before at Mesa in spring training were like sixty dollars a pop for the lawn. Me oh, me, Scrabs and Cy went to one and I think it was by far the most expensive I think it's more expensive, more money than I've spent at actual regular season Reds games. Yeah, regular season games, yeah. It was yeah. freakishly expensive to get on the lawn. You were surrounded by a bunch of assholes, and the beer was way <laughs> too expensive, and it was hot. I went to – I went to uh, – in the spring you training games. Just spilling everywhere, yeah. I went to spring training um, Cubs versus White Sox. So I was just surrounded by the, just Chicago, just all over Chicago. It right. Just, it was just pouring over me. And I, I guess I have to say that I didn't do this on – well, I did it on purpose, I guess. My fiance is a Cubs fan from northwest Indiana. <laughs> Boo! Right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. which is terrible. I mean, that sucks. But on the other hand, uh, being with a, uh, a partner that is – uh, dialed into baseball is not bad, you know. <laughs> well, at, least, at least you went with the uh, the full year and a half engagement, so the Reds might actually be better than the Cubs by the time you get married. So, um, oh man, no, 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 year and a half, three years, three, three years, buddy. There you yeah, go. Three years, for like three years right now. Uh, three and a half years. Yeah. Right now. Just don't, don't ever get, don't get married during a rebuild, and the Reds Forever are engagement. Yeah, Just right? go that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, with that. Uh, we'll call time on this one. We're running, what, 52, 53 minutes in here. Um, yeah. Get back and get a chance to watch uh, what the Reds can do to hopefully put the Mike Trouts to bed and sweep this little quick two-game series and head into the Cubs series uh, on as big of a roll as they've been in all season. Yeah, fuck so, the Cubs. Yep. Uh, so you can find us on SoundCloud. We are the Red Reporter Podcast. You can find us on iTunes as well. Uh, I keep trying to get us on Spotify, Baseball Jones, but um, they keep just being kind of a pain in the ass on it. So look for us elsewhere if you're still uh, not listening to this on not Spotify and make it 55 minutes in. Um, Phil Razor equals downloads, 53 minutes and 33 seconds. You can tag that, Phil. Um, but, yeah, read us at redreporter.com. Follow us on Twitter at redreporter. Um, uh, screw Facebook. Um, and, yeah, for that, for Aaron, for Grimey, Thank you for listening. Thank you, Reds, for actually being a decent baseball team when baseball should be the most fun. Uh, And uh, let's roll with it for a while. So good stuff, guys. Thanks for listening.